0: Welcome to this clinical law briefing. My name is Robert Wheeler. I work in Southampton as a children's surgeon and clinical lawyer. I run the Department of Clinical Law and hope this podcast concerning a legal aspect of clinical life will interest you. This briefing considers a single decision. Should the patient have a nasogastric tube? Mr. W., a 77 year old man with end stage dementia, lacked capacity to make decisions about his treatment. Admitted to hospital in September 2017 with an acute illness, a nasogastric tube was passed to enable his enteral feeding. Within two months, he was well enough to re- return home, but his discharge was delayed due to a disagreement with his family. The dispute centered on whether he should go home with the nasogastric tube in place for continued provision. Of nourishment and hydration. On numerous occasions in the ensuing six months in hospital, his tube was displaced and repassed, with consequent significant abrasions to his nares, and radiography of course, after each replacement. Mr W had no motor or verbal response to stimuli, other than opening his eyes when his hand was pushed. The court was told that his Glasgow Coma score was four. He suffered contractures and had lost both his swallow and any sign of hunger. He was doubly incontinent, and entirely dependent upon others for his personal care. During the ensuing court hearing to settle where Mr W's best interest lay in the dispute over nasogastric feeding at home, it was agreed that Mr W should be discharged to the care of his sons with domiciliary clinical support. It was also agreed that insertion of a gastrostomy was not in his best interests, nor was cardiopulmonary resuscitation. The Sons, meanwhile, sought a declaration that W should be discharged with the nasogastric tube in situ, whilst the Trust pleaded for a declaration he should be allowed to go home with a plan for palliative care and oral comfort feeding, following removal of the nasogastric tube prior to discharge. The hospital's case was that long-term nasogastric feeding of adults with dementia in the community is rare, with a positive evidence measuring safety and efficacy. Nasal and esophageal trauma associated with tube insertion, together with aspiration and tube dislodgement, are all commonplace and rendered home nasogastric gastric feeding unsafe for Mr W. The family's view differed. They felt W had tolerated eight months of feeding in hospital well and that they could significantly reduce the risk of displacement by providing continuous care at home. Mr W's sons had received training in tube care and they noted the acknowledged risk of aspiration in the absence of a tube. Mr W's son, in evidence, reported that his father never wanted to go back to hospital and had been a stoical man. At the High Court, the trust application was granted. On appeal, the court noted that the High Court judge had taken careful account of evidence of W's wishes and feelings and beliefs and values. She accepted that he would have wanted to go home and to be cared for, but not that there was dependable evidence he would have wished to receive continuing feeding by nasogastric tube. She accepted the medical view that this was inappropriate and that this view was consistent with NICE and GMC guidance. She also gave careful consideration to the risks and benefits of the different methods of feeding. Contrary to the family's assertion that the High Court had not given enough weight to what W would have wanted in these circumstances and that the judge had overstated the risks of tube feeding at home, the Court of Appeal found no error in her decision and upheld the trust's application. This case, turning as it does on the single issue of whether or not an elderly patient should go home with nasogastric tube feeding, echoes a very common practical problem facing acute hospital trusts across the country. The court found that the patient's best interests had precedence over the family's, undoubtedly well-intentioned, insistence that tube feeding must continue after discharge, demonstrating that on occasion judicial authority is necessary to ensure that patient's welfare is given priority. I hope this was useful. But if you would prefer to read rather than to listen to me, by all means look at the Clinical Law website on the UHS webpage or type clinical law into a search engine.